We hear a lot of perspectives on the Mankind Podcast. Inclusion of a guest is not an endorsement of their views, and the opinions expressed here do not always represent the mission or values of the Mankind Project USA. Looks like the rain has gone. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Mankind Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Clift, and today I'm joined by John Henry Parker. Mate, we have a lot to dive into today. I'm very excited to talk about your new book, to talk about your work, uh, your history in men's work, and, and just your journey alone has been quite the hero's journey. But before we do that, let's kick things off with a check-in. John, take it away. Yeah, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this, Brandon. Uh, I've been really paying attention to your work and been following the Mankind Project for many, many years. So I would just check in to say, I'm checking in with a lot of a, a gratitude, a lot of willingness to, to really be open and transparent and just be, you know, empathetic to the suffering uh, that we all go through. And, and I just feel really, uh, comfortable talking to you about my book and you know so i'm just checking in with a lot of a lot of gratitude and uh pretty relaxed and i just feel really like i'm like this is the right place for me to be right now i'm in Heard. thank you uh brandon checking in with with joy uh this is a long time coming uh, i heard of you through uh, mike patterson good friend of mine and uh, man who frequents the podcast here and uh, love the interview you had with him. Very insightful and looking forward to seeing where we can go from here. Um, gratitude to spend time with men like yourself who have experienced things that I have not. Uh, people who have experienced things that I know others around me have. Uh, and so I can gleam from you, you know, the conversation, the alchemy that we're about to create together. It always amazes me. I, you just never know who this is going to touch you never know the impact of how a simple conversation between you and i you know what that could mean for someone out there and so without further ado i am in john we uh in our pre-interview we spoke a lot about the hero's journey which is uh something i very much like to put the put the specs on and, and geek out on and uh i you know with every kind of hero's journey there's the origin right there's the original world there's the beginning and I'd love to get just a snapshot. We're going to go deep into your life, but I'd love to get a snapshot of kind of the early days. Can you summarize what growing up was like? And, uh, and then we'll get into, uh, Gladys. Well, I was raised by a really traumatized alcoholic combat veteran father who was in Korea in the Marine Corps. He was a demolition technician and, uh, really, really terrible experience. And then he went to Vietnam as, as an Air Force reconnaissance photographer and he got shot down with his pilot and had to av avoid being captured and live in the swamps and jungles. And I don't know much more about that, but uh, it just traumatized him even more. And so uh, he was really a very dominant, introspective, kind of violent person. And he didn't know how to manage his emotions. And so he self-medicated with at least a 12-pack every night. And it was always very predictable. So most of my life spending as an infant growing up was learning how to play towards his emotions and pander to him to figure out what mood was he coming home in. And as he got more and more drunk, like what was going to happen next. And so I spent, I spent a lot of time, you know, um, hiding out under my bed, you know, it just, it just, it was really a, a very, um, abusive, physically violent environment. And he should have gone to prison. I mean, we, it was just child abuse of the worst kind on our whole family, you know? And so, I mean, I would literally go to school and I would have new welts on my backside and my legs, literally growing over old welts. You know, and as a little science project, I'd be pressing on my jeans all day long. It was fascinated with the healing process. It's a lot of stuff that I normalized, you know, then outside of our house, I was raised in Southwest Phoenix and there's a lot of, a lot of gangs and a lot of predators 
and I got chased a lot by groups of guys and caught a lot of times and got beat up. Uh, and, uh, and I won some fights, but against a bunch of guys, you know, getting broken fingers and cracked ribs, you know, and it was just their, their, their fun, you know, to terrorize me. So every time I went outside, my mom was sending me to the store. It was, it was, it was a terrorizing experience. So, and then I, I decided I'm going to go in the military and I'm not going to take anybody's shit anymore. So I, I went in the army and then I went in the Marine Corps, you know, and I learned how to take care of myself. That stuff never happened again, but I still carried the wounds and just all the suffering from my upbringing. It, it took a long time, quite a few decades to kind of unwind all that. Man, I can, I can imagine this. Isn't that such a common narrative as you, or as I, I mean, I've, I've witnessed hearing more from people that have served that oftentimes it was joining the military was an, an opportunity to reclaim power that was once taken. What better way than to join the United States military? <laughs> like that, that, that is, that's the ticket, right? However, it's oftentimes a, uh, a subpar and often traumatizing hero's journey in itself. Entering yeah, I've been, the... working, I've, I've been working with traumatized combat veterans for 25 years. And um, man, I tell you, there's a combination of the deep pride for what you accomplish. And then, man, the loss of friends. And mm. it's just, there's just so much that goes along with it where it's, um, you know, you, you have mixed feelings about the whole experience. Yeah. So let, let's um let's go let's go to childhood again. You you mention a lot in your book about your aunt Gladys, this this role model, this this mentor who played a big role in shaping you. Uh, curious of your, your relation to her and, and how she came into your world. Well, my mom was an only child, and my great aunt Gladys, she just loved and adored my mom because she didn't have children herself. And so she just doted over my mother during her upbringing. And Gladys, we call her Glad affectionately, she was a Canadian war correspondent uh, in Europe during the rise of fascism and the Nazi invasion of France and Paris. And she worked with the, with the Free French, the resistance. She was a reporter. She got to interview all the dignitaries. And then she was part of the big evacuation from France down to Bordeaux to catch a ship over to England, mm -hmm. escaping the, the Nazis. And so she wrote a book called One Woman's War uh, about the experience of her journalistic life. And then there was a documentary channel uh, about her life up in Canada called Eyewitness to War. And it really kind of chronicles her life. And so when she was awarded the French uh, Medal, Legion Medal of Honor from the French government like decades after the war. So she's a really, really important figure in Canada about, about their participation in the war. And the University of Regina has a whole archive of her life's work and all of her writings. So she would come down and she worked at the French embassy in Ottawa for 30 years after the war. So every summer, every winter for about five, six years, she would come down for two months just before Thanksgiving and then leave sometime in January to get out of the cold extremes of Ottawa. And we lived in Phoenix. So she would come live with us and she could have, she could have lived with my grandparents a few hours away, but she chose to embed herself in our house because she knew how violent my father was. Mm. And so she, for those two months, it was the most relative safety I had. And, um, and I say in the book that I had a secret that my brother and sister never found out about. She would get up at 4.30 every day and she would cook can Canadian bacon, sharp cheddar cheese, toast, and it would have coffee, cream, and maple syrup. And so I would wake up about 4.30 every day and I'd smell the bacon and I would sneak out of my bedroom and didn't wake my brother or sister up. And I would literally have like three hours every morning sitting at her feet, talking with her. Wow. And... She was provisioning me for my hero's journey before I even understood what that meant. Like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share throughout our conversation here a bunch of these little pearls, but like, like one of the biggest ones was, 
you know, she told me that I was going to do extraordinary things with my life. And I, I believed her because she said it, you know, mm. I had, I just had to, it was just true. And there's a lot of things that she was able to share to provision me. And my wife sees it really well. She goes, glad didn't save my life. She provisioned me to save my own life. And like it only hits Go ahead. Like an angel. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, only takes, it only takes one adult of healthy character to shape and influence a child's life forever. Mm. And that was in my, my case. And she was our family matriarch. And until I was in my 40s, she was my confidential resource. You know, mm. anytime I had a problem, she was always there. And she's still there now. I can, you know, it's been a, it's been a great having her influence guiding my life. Mm. How how neat that as a true mentor should, if we're looking at Campbell's stages of the hero's journey, as a true mentor should, they don't do the work for you, but they provide opportunities, insights, and openings for you to become the hero that you were meant to be. And how neat that that came from a matriarchal figure as opposed to paternal male you know someone that you could uh very much embody their energy right so yeah i think that's that's so neat and really opens the door for many out there to to broaden their horizons as to who might be able to guide them in this phase and, and very much future phases of life right well she was a repre representation of what a really healthy mature intelligent woman was in the world Mm -hmm. And my grandmother was very similar. They were Canadians and they were just really You know, they were just really intelligent, kind, you know, people. Mm -hmm. And then contrasted against my father's violence, you know, it was two different worlds, you know, that I was needing to balance. But he would never, never say anything negative to her or bad with her when she was with us. He was always the consummate gentleman. Mm -hmm. But man, before she arrived, like an hour or two before she got to the airport, he would line us up against the the the, the hallway wall, mm. and he would poke us in the chest with his knuckle and say, "We don't talk about things that happen in this house with Gladys. If I hear anything, even a whisper, you will pay." You yeah. know, and, and so so this is the kind of this is kind of craziness where Gladys trying to get me to open up and talk to her, and I'm like, I can't talk about that. What do you mean you can't talk about that? Yeah. Can't talk. We've been talking about a lot of things. You know, did your father say this to you? And so we had a secret pact that she wouldn't tell anything, but I've shared some things with her that were important. Mm -hmm. But I was scared to death. Man. What a what a what a living dichotomy in that moment, right? You have this lack of certainty, lack of structure and danger under the same roof as stability, certainty, and safety with your aunt to, to walk between those two worlds and have to put on a mask and, and live differently <laughs> multiple times throughout a day, whether in the presence of your father, glad or both at the same time. I mean, imagine as a young, as a young boy that taught you a lot about putting on masks and learning how to survive. It's all about survival mm -hmm. and it, it became, it just became the way of being is that, uh, you know, until I got old enough and I was going to get beat no matter what I did. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, mm -hmm. you know, and that became its own set of problems. Okay. Cause now I'm getting bigger and he doesn't want to use the belt anymore. And it's just, it just, then I got even more defiant. So imagine mm -hmm. having a problem with authority. Like I had a lot of rage and then mm -hmm. I went in the military. You know, and I had a problem with authority, right? And so, mm -hmm. go in the Marine Corps if you have a problem with authority. You'll, you'll have a pretty rough time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, undoubtedly. Um, I'm curious of the purpose that the military held for you because you went in with one reason, right? To get that power back, right? To take this unfettered rage, and you know, give it a channel to express what was the experience? What was the outcome with your time in the military? Well, it started out that I, I, all my friends had felonies and I didn't. Mm. 
that was a big motivator. Like, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to get a felony. I'm not going to be able to go in. This is my ticket out of here. I wasn't going to college, mm. you know. And so that was the first thing. And, uh, you know, I wanted to make my dad proud. It was kind of a twisted sense of a son wanting his father to be proud of him, but hating him at the mm. same time. Right. So, so I went in the Army, and uh, I said, I want to go in the Army. He said, I'd be happy if he just did anything. He took me down the next morning, signed the paperwork, I was 17 and a half. It's called the early entry program. He just wanted me out of there. And then like a week or 10 days before graduating army boot camp, uh, they discovered I had a, I had a, a major injury in my arm that wasn't fully healed up from a, 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 a glass, a window accident where it cut all the muscles and the tendons and the mm -hmm. nerves in my arm. So I didn't have any feeling in this part of my hand, mm -hmm. but I was able to hide out amongst all the inductees and pass the physicals because nobody could see the injury. Mm -hmm. But all the way through boot camp, they kept giving me the stink eye because I was I could do, I, I could only do push-ups on my knuckles and I could I couldn't I didn't have any strength in these fingers, so they'd be sticking up on the pullet bar. And finally, they yeah. just ripped me away from the group and said, "Is that a pre-existing injury?" You know, I'm like yes. And then they just immediately separated me on a medical, mm -hmm. and I went home so ashamed of myself that my dad wouldn't even shake my hand. He wouldn't let me in the house, you know, and uh, wouldn't even just stood in the doorway. I just grabbed my duffel bag, turned around, walked away. I lived in my friend's front yard and I had a camper for about a year, you know, and I got the harebrained idea that maybe I could get back in the military if I could get my arm working properly. So, long story short, went down to the recruiter's office. They said, it's yeah, it's not, it's, it's highly unlikely they're even going to talk to you. I'm like, highly unlikely. That means it's not impossible. And I did get him to talk to me and I did get my physical and instead of showing him, I go back in the army, I went in the Marine Corps cause he was in the Marine Corps, you know? And so, uh, but I, I had a really incredible experience in the Marines and I had, uh, I had, I had stress fractures really. I didn't know I had stress fractures until I'm trying to run 10 miles in boots. You know, and uh, they almost separated me because I had these really severe stress fractures and wearing shin splints. And in the Marine Corps, if you're wearing shin splints and you would look ridiculous. You look at the weakest guy in the platoon, you're the first guy that's going to get cut. Mm. And so long story short, it taught me how to eat the pain and it, ta it taught me it taught me how to really, really deal with pain and harden up. And then as soon as that took place my fitness scores just went through the roof and my life changed dramatically you know because i understood how to take, take care of myself and i was now like 20 pounds of more full muscle and mm -hmm. i come home on leave and like nobody ever wanted to fight like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like it was great because i didn't have to beat anybody up man so so you had this physical transformation was that, I'm curious what role that physical transformation did to some of the, the deeper wounds that still played a role in you wanting to join the military or prove something to your father, or at least get something from your father that he wasn't giving. Um, how long did the high of that physical transformation last? And then what was beneath that came to the surface again? Well, when I, I, I think one way to look at that question is I wanted my father to, to, to deal with what he'd done to my family. So mm -hmm. I took him for a drive when I got home on leave one time and, uh, he was getting older and I was getting bigger and stronger. Yeah. Like he would never, ever even, he would never try to do anything to me ever again, but I wanted him to, to pay. So I took him for a drive one day out, outside of South, uh, North Phoenix. And I pulled in an old abandoned gas station. I pulled in behind it with nobody around. And he was getting really nervous and I intended to just annihilate him. But when I saw him getting older and I realized I'm not him, I'm not you, I'm not going to be you, mm. you know, I, I didn't do anything. I just kind of said, you know, I got some problems, you know, and I went, I tried to talk to him for the first time in my life. He actually had a conversation with me. I told him, I said, I have a problem with authority and it's your fucking fault. Like, you know, I, I can't, you know, I'm getting in lots of trouble and, you know, and I have a rage problem and, uh, thanks a lot, you know, and, and he opened up and said that he had had the same problems and, you know, kind of teared up a little bit. 
I never saw that before. So yeah. for me, p- part of it was taking my power back. Whether he agreed with it or not, I took my power back. And I was able to settle that part of me down mm-hmm. where he needed to acknowledge what he'd done. And I didn't really take it as far as I could have. I did that when before he died decades later. Mm-hmm. I really let him have it. Yeah. Okay, because there was a lot of stuff that was bubbling up. But I, I kind of carried this with me. Um, the level of incongruence, I understand it's called an internal cohesion, like a lack of internal cohesion. Is, is who you're projecting really reflective of who you are deep down mm-hmm. as a person? And I could say no. I was really broken. But I had yeah. this impeccable uniform in this presentation of being, you know, a Marine in shape. And, but inside, I was broken really yeah. i felt damaged there's something wrong with me was my prevailing belief mm-hmm. you know that was such that that sounds like it was such a fine line to walk in that moment you know i, I liken it to uh, another phenomenal example of joseph campbell's hero's journey displayed where um where luke in star wars is given an opportunity to take his dad out right to make his father pay for all of his sins and transgressions and you've got this palpatine figure this this evil devil on the shoulder going do it strike him down reclaim the power that that you you know that you deserve that you need that you crave and he says not to he decides not to right and in turn fight the devil that's been pulling the strings and so in that moment you had an opportunity to really whoop your dad one good right and in t- and instead chose a different path which is to expound and open up and share and say that this is this is the impact you've had on my life your actions your behaviors the things you said and did to me and my brother and sister like you need to know the impact of this i'm curious with your relationship with your father if or how did things change as you began to open up more and share the impact and the role that he was playing in your life throughout your relationship with him? Ask me the question again. I'm trying to think mm. about some things you want to ask about. So how did your relationship with your father change as time went on and you started to share more with him? Like you said, as he got older and you got older, you really let him have it. Was there it, a change, or, or how did it change? Well, it's interesting. My Aunt Gladys, she she called me and asked me if I noticed anything different about my dad one time. My mom had Parkinson's for 35 years. My grandmother had, she was aging, so she moved into our house, and my dad was a full-time caregiver. Wow. He would get up, make him breakfast, go to work at the plant nursery, come home for lunch, make him lunch, go back to the nursery, come home, make him dinner, and they sleep on the couch, and they both had little bells, if they needed medication or whatever they needed during the night. So he never really slept. And, and Gladys said that he'd been given the gift of empathy, mm. of compassion, because now he couldn't beat anybody up. He couldn't be mean. And it, and it really transformed him, you know. Um, uh, but what I, I finally did when I was when I was older, you know, I said, I said, my I got a lot of friends that are pretty upset with their dads and they never said anything to them and now they're gone and when they get drunk enough their anger comes out and every Mm -hmm. time i ask what did you talk to him no you didn't know my dad but if he was still here i'd let him have it you know and i'm like okay well that's my cue and i told i called my dad he's living in oklahoma i said look i need you to just be quiet i don't need you to say anything until i'm done uh i got some stuff to say to you Uh, i get too many friends that wish they would have told their dads what they needed to tell them before they left and you're not too far away from that. Are you willing to shut up and listen? And he reluctantly agreed. Mm. And I just told him how devastating he was and how how harmful it was, and that he needed he should have gone to prison. And he knows it. You know, don't. And he tried to interrupt him, like, shut up, just don't say anything. And my my sister, my mom, and I just went all the way through it. And ultimately, after a long pause, he said he was sorry. And I'm like, man, I need you to hurt a little more than that. Okay. (laughs) So I lay down some more. And all he could say was he saw it, he sees it, he was sorry, and he regrets it. And um, 
that just needed to be good enough. It took me a while to process that that's, that was good enough. What more am I going to get? Okay, that's more than most guys get. Mm-hmm. So I encourage adult children, if it's something like I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, take some time to prepare a conversation or write a letter. Get it out of your system. Get that toxicity. Cough up the hairballs. And even if you never give it to them, even if you just ceremoniously throw it in a fire, mm-hmm. you got to get all this stuff outside of yourself. And if you could talk to the person... What I wanted him to do is I wanted him to take the pain back. You own this. Okay, I'm tired of carrying the guilt. I'm tired of covering for you. I'm tired of acting like it's all okay. Like I'm putting this all back on you and you get to own it. I'm not living this life anymore with your shit. Yeah. And I, I have seen many examples of what you've just explained done. And I have never heard a single person regret the process. Whether the whether the parent was still alive or not, um, a dear friend of mine, uh, Dene Maria Sebastiana, he's been on the show a couple of times. He lost his father about two years ago, and I called him to check on him and see how he was doing. And he said, "My little boy needed has heard everything he needed to hear from his dad." And I thought, man, that 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 that's the ticket right there. That's what yeah. my inner child needs before my folks knock on that door, right? That little boy needs to hear everything it needs to hear. And and it sounds like, if I'm not mistaken, that, you know, that sorry from your dad, it's not him who had all the power in this, in your suffering and your challenge. Like you yourself had to take ownership for some of your own trauma and suffering. It wasn't just him holding the key. Yeah. You know, it's a great, great segue. Glad said to me in one of these, this, this conversation where she was saying, you know, I've, I've researched most every religion in the world. And I've come to a realization that she's not a religious person. But she's very spiritual. And she said, if you distill every major faith of the world, down to a common denominator and you leave out the extreme aspects. Every single one I've discovered feels that God is love. If you'll understand that, you can get along with anybody from any faith anywhere in the world. Okay? Mm-hmm. You don't have to get caught up in religion, but if you do, great. But this is a great thing. So do you believe that God is love? And I'm thinking, took her a while to pull it out of me and I said you know I, I that may be that may be true for you but not for me because mm-hmm. why am I afraid of my father and why does he hurt me and why do all these bad things happen to my family you know so no I don't think God is love because all these bad things are happening and she long story short she said you're going to find your purpose and you're going to discover God is love for yourself and it's going to it's going to take some time but I'll look forward to that day when we're talking about it and so I said, I think I'm too young to have a purpose, you know? And uh, so she just let it go. But I can't tell you how many times in violent, bad situations, like just before the impact, just before I was getting ready to get hurt or something really bad is gonna happen, I, 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 I can't remember the number of times I said, if God is love, why is this happening to me? Like that was the prevailing question for my whole adult life. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and I didn't discover until 52 when I, when I did some uh, a Native American vision quest and some a lot of plant medicine ceremonies. You know, I found joy, hmm. which I never had any. And I discovered like a lightning bolt that the purpose of all my suffering for my whole life was to develop the gift of empathy to understand the pain of others. And that was a really cathartic moment because I was able to understand that my suffering served the purpose yeah there you go you're able to place meaning and reframe the experience to go no because of this uh, cross bed <laughs> yeah. 52 years because of these experiences it gives me access to truly understand what people are going through when they suffer trauma that's that's so powerful and that's something that 
I often think about my friends who have been through perhaps some of the toughest stuff and they might place themselves very low in the totem pole of importance or significance or uh, impact that they can have in their lives. And it's like, no, because you went through that thing, right? Because you were the biggest drug bust in Bonnaroo history <laughs> and the leader of the whole thing, like that's something that you can pull from that experience <laughs> right. and teach others, you know, like that's just one example. But, you know, because <clears throat> a friend of mine's experienced extraordinarily unfair grief in their life and loss, you have the ability to help walk alongside or guide or support someone to be able to take that trauma and give it a purpose. Um, not to distract you from the healing that's necessary, not to take away from the, the, the grief journey that continues for you or distract you from it, but to give it a both end. As I do my healing journey through grief, I can walk with others as they go through theirs. Right. And, and, that's a big reason why the Mankind Project exists and why we have programs like A Vet's Journey Home, which you know, you're, you've been a part of and experienced. I'd love to hear about that, actually, just your experience with the Vet's Journey Home and what it taught you and, and how it... Yeah, because I'm sure as you were going through it, there was an opportunity to think about your father, too. Oh, yeah. I did a lot of shadow work. When I went through the Mankind Project, it was an eye-opener. Because I never really delved into shadow work, especially the way it's just put upon you. Like it's unexpected. Mm. It's startling. You're like, holy shit, I got to act this out, <laughs> right? I got to do this right now. And it's like, and then you just, they just, you just, you see other people being really vulnerable and you're supporting them. And all of a sudden you're being supported. It was a big shift for me to be able to act out some pretty violent situations mm. that were going on in and it had a really deep effect on me. Mm. So I really appreciated the Mankind Project. My son was in the military in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, so I had gone through it because um, he was getting out. And uh, he called me from Afghanistan like a September of 2003 and said he was too effed up to come home, you know, and mm. uh, from a satellite phone. And that was the most shocking call I've ever gotten in my life. And, you know, he made it home alive. And um, so I went through the Mankind Project looking for resources. Like, I've got to go find some things to help combat vets when they come home to help them rediscover themselves, you know. And so I was just going through all these experiential retreats and programs. And so the Mankind Project really opened me up. And then, you know, unfortunately, my son got killed when he got back um, from um, an adrenaline-seeking uh, motorcycle accident. You know, out of the blue, all of a sudden he's gone. And so I go through the Vets Journey Home program, which is a spinoff of, 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 the, of the Mankind Project, same similar processes. And... Um, and I went through it with a small group of veterans, and uh, I've, I've referred a lot of vets to, man, to the Mankind Project and, 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 and Vets Journey at Home, but it was really part of my process because like, like you're saying, it's therapeutic to be in service of others when you're hurting yourself. I, I, I write a lot about the wound, being the wounded healer. If I didn't move my pain, it was gonna eat me alive. So mm. I dove in and started adopting at-risk veterans, you know, and really I was very comfortable self-medicating with, you know, alcohol and mm. pot and just being numb and checking out. And then when I was not numb, I was helping others. And for me, it was a way of moving my pain while I figured things out, while I began to mature in my grief and my suffering. And and now having having been on the other side of that, I found joy. I found purpose. I'm happily married. I've got a, just a, a, my life is so enriched, but it's, it's a feeling of confliction that I miss my son. I miss other people, but I'm here. And it took me a long time to figure out that, Hey, no matter what I've been through, no matter how, how heartbreaking or traumatizing, I deserve to live a fulfilling, a fulfilling life. And when I believed that long enough, I finally came to the conclusion and I deserve to be happy. 
But being the wounded healer helped me mature in my grief and loss. That's what it did. It did for me. Being of service to others helped me get outside of myself because I was just dwelling with like a mm. deep depression. You know, some suicidal thoughts. Like, you know, it's, it's crazy to go from being a father to not being a father. So processing all these things and dealing with other families helped me avoid the deep stuff. And that's when I came across the hero's journey in more detail. Hmm. I'd like to talk to you more about that because I started writing this book as a therapeutic writing project to cough up these hairballs and just get it out of my, out of my system so I could look at things and process them. And I got 30 years of these little abstracts and pieces of writing. And then I started watching Finding Joe, which yeah. is a documentary on Netflix. Great. And I kept, I kept seeing, I scrolled through it for a year, like Finding Joe, eh, Finding Joe. And then finally I clicked on it. Oh, it's about Finding Joseph Campbell. That was really interesting. And then I started watching it and there was a graphic, a really cool graphic. I'll show it to you sometime. I, I did a screen chapter, uh, uh, capture on my, on my laptop. And it's got this really good arc of the hero's journey. Really well done, better than I've ever seen. Well, the movies, mm. the documentary is funded by the Joseph Campbell Foundation. So no wonder. And so I took the screenshot and I put it in PowerPoint and I started creating these little text snippets. And I said, I wonder what my hero's journey looks like. And I started creating all these snippets, mm. like 60 or 70 of them that followed the arc, all the trials, all the magical helpers, right? Mm -hmm. Coming home with a magical elixir, which is really who I've become. And that turned into my table of contents. So literally, I can show you that map, and then I can show you my table of contents. And I started writing, and with a sense of freedom. Mm -hmm. And I saved all the worst parts of my experiences for last, but I covered all the fun stuff, all the adventure stuff. And uh, it just started turning into this book. And, you know, that's how this really came to be because I was never supposed to see the light of day. I was writing it under somebody else's name. Mm. It was my personal journals. And mm. I was mortified that anybody would ever see it or read it. So I, if I did do it, I was going to do it under somebody else's name. And then at the end, I'm like, this is it. This is my, this is it. This is what it is, you mm. know, and unapologetically. And that's been a healing experience of its own is being vulnerable and transparent. It, it's so authentically that there's no misunderstanding I think you know what's going on it's not mm -hmm. sugar-coated it's pretty gritty in parts of the book but it's really I think healing you know yeah. it's not a self-help book it's a transformational book, body of work that's disguised as a narrative memoir mm. that's powerful John I mean you you were able to essentially self-author you know in retrospect to go back through your life and see all the different roles all the different stages of the journey and, and I, I think that's such a powerful reminder as to why i would encourage everyone to check out um finding joe the documentary uh, if you want to go deeper a hero of a thousand faces um you know his book that really really explains the hero's journey we're talking about a man who traveled the world living with different cultures and different communities that hadn't physically been in the same area for like 200,000 years, right? If we're looking at evolution, like these are groups of people that had not been together in that time and all their myths, stories, and legends follow the same 12 stages. You have this reluctant hero that wants something but doubts themselves, and then a guide comes along and shows them like someone who's done the journey before you, you know you're glad right your great aunt um who then opens their eyes to a whole new potential a whole new world and and there begins the hero's journey you know crossing that threshold into something outside of your comfort zone outside of the norm and as a therapeutic process um there have been various stages in my life where i've been very depressed very down challenges with suicidal ideation and and my mum has always been quite powerful in reminding me of the mountains climbed to go 
is this the same person that achieved XYZ and overcame ABC odds and just kind of put this thing into perspective to go, hey, maybe this mountain I'm facing right now is really just a molehill in the grand scheme of things. And that your journey, your past, John, although much of it incredibly traumatizing and challenging, was still journeys around the hero's journey, right? It was still you taking those steps to become the person that you are to then enjoy this enriched life and abundance, right? To be able to guide others as a mentor now. I mean, I'm sure Glad would be incredibly proud of you to now be in a position to help the next generation or the person next to you that's going through these challenges in life, trying to make that journey home as a combat veteran, reframing their trauma. I mean, it's it's truly powerful, John, and, and you very much embody what that journey looks like. I appreciate that. Um... And I was fortunate, I'll clarify one thing. My son was a combat veteran. My dad was Mm -hmm. a combat veteran. And I trained in a special unit um, in the Marine Corps called Anglico. Um, And uh, I I, I was fortunate enough to be in between conflicts. And, but I can tell you, like a lot of guys that I served is, I had combat envy, Mm -hmm. like so terribly, because you train for it and you need to be tested. And um, that's just the bottom line. Why, why else would you do this unless to go to war? It's a Spartan-like mentality. Yeah. And um, Makes me think of never... Jarhead, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. he doesn't so, get to take the shot. <laughs> exactly. And so mm. I lived with that for a while until my son called me from Afghanistan and I had to deal with the aftermath of him going through uh, re- uh, transition and the, the amount of trauma. I mean, he told me, everything like he i was lucky enough to where he could really talk to me and all that combat envy went away a hundred percent it's like oh my gosh i I would have been worse off i probably wouldn't have survived Hmm. okay i have enough trauma as it is you know i had a lot of rage and retribution and that would have just been ignited like a powder keg Hmm. so i'm really thankful that um a lot of combat vets, most all of my buddies are combat vets. And because of my status with my son, they give me a little bit of gratitude or a mm-hmm. little latitude, I should say, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and I, and I understand having been around this, this, this world multi-generationally, you know, that it is a very tough concept for somebody to say, like, literally I was suiting somebody a few days ago and now I'm three days later, I'm cooking eggs for my kids. Mm. You know, it's a really sitting with vets and especially taking, you know, doing the men's work. I've been doing a lot of men's work. As a matter of fact, that's the only thing I do is I don't do anything that's couples oriented or family or co-ed. I really appreciate doing uh, the the deep work with, with men. And I don't do men's groups. I don't lead them. Mm. Uh, I'm more interested in supporting really great leaders that are doing the men's work. And there's a bunch of them that are just emerging, like yourself, like younger guys who have really been through the shit and are young enough now, but if the wisdom that's coming out in these 20, 30, 40 year old men, it's like the next generation. We need to support that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to lead the applause and be of support and quite frankly, really quietly just see what I can do to help this movement grow. Um, I'm not really interested in speaking and leading uh but i see i can play a role in helping others do that i love that because there's plenty of people wanting to be the star of the show and more often than not it's based upon trying to build or sustain some idea of self-importance whereas you're you're finding your niche you're finding where you need to be to have the most impact that you can and want to give i want to ask you what would you say to someone and it's kind of a twofold question here what would you say to someone who is a combat veteran perhaps very much in transition right now coming back to civilian life who is challenged who is struggling who is really having a hard time with that transition and then we'll follow that with what do you say to someone who knows of someone close to them who's going through that transition and how they can support Okay, well, a couple of things. 
what they don't tell you when you're getting out of the military, whether you're a combat vet or a non-combat combat vet, it's like, uh, I can speak for myself, it's like they hand you a grenade and they tell you to hold on to it really tight. Not for your safety, but then they put your, you know, they pull the pen, they kick you out the door and you spend a lot of time not, not wanting people to know what's really inside. Like there's a lot of magma. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of really uh, bad experiences that you're stuffing down and stuffing away. And like mm-hmm. when I got in the military, I had a very compartmentalized emotions where I could only experience certain things. I would only mm-hmm. allow myself. I had a very limited vocabulary. Um, the biggest deficit that I see for virtually most every veteran is they don't teach you how to transition after military service. They they do a great job of gal- galvanizing you into a, a machine, yeah. into a, a warrior, but they yeah. don't do anything to decommission you and kind of say, okay, what's going on here? Bring you and home. what I discovered with mm-hmm. my son, which is really a, a fabulous experience with both of us, is identity, mission, meaning, and purpose. When you're in the military, you have an identity. I mean, you, you own that identity. It's something you're proud of. Uh, every day you have a mission that you are assigned. You know what that is, and you got to get after it. And then meaning and purpose. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than protecting somebody to the left and the right and front and behind mm-hmm. you. And, and, and knowing that they got you. They got you, right? Yeah. yeah. And so purpose, meaning and purpose. So identity, mission, meaning, and purpose. I spend so much time, like I, I wrote my first book uh, and recorded my first audiobook called Transitioning Veterans, How We Get in Our Own Way and What to Do About It. And in that book, in that audiobook, I, I take apart identity, mission, meaning, and purpose. And I wrote this book for combat vets who are absolutely not going to ask for help. It's a sign of weakness. I don't want anything in my medical records. I don't want to be passed over for promotion or lose my security clearance because I sought help. So these barriers to care keep most veterans from seeking help when there's all kinds of help that's available. So I wrote this audio book, it's about an hour and 20 minutes long, for combat veterans who are reluctant to ask for help and they can listen to this in the privacy of their own mind with nobody nobody knowing that they're getting help. And we go into these aspects of identity, mission, meaning, and purpose. Boy, and if you're a family member and you wanna understand how to talk to your veteran, man, identity, mission, meaning, and purpose. We need to reinvent ourselves. We need to create a new identity. Because when they kick you out, you, you walk around with this huge void you can't fill up with drugs or sex or porn or alcoholism or adrenaline seeking or workaholism. And, and, our, and our families aren't designed to understand it. Mm-mm. So little things like, my, like uh, if you go to transitioningveteransbook.com, like the whole audio book is there for free. It's a dedication. It's a memory. It's a memorial project for my son, Danny, but it'll take you through. And what I, I find interesting, you know, Brandon is I did it as a dual recording because we all have a critical mind that's constantly hijacking us. That's taking away precious moments from when we should be present, but we're thinking about being triggered, like threatened, you know, threats or people are jerks or, you know, need to watch out for this, right? And so veterans are just like, like a, a super exaggerated startle responses and this hypervigilant. Okay, welcome back to the Mankind Podcast. We just had a power outage, uh, yet here we are, we are back. And John, you were sharing that with uh, transitioning veterans in your book, you had another veteran come on, right? And so he plays the voice of the critical mind that's always hijacking moments. And I play the voice of the rational, reasonable mind. And so it's an interview back and forth and the banter and the ridiculousness that anybody who suffered trauma has a critical mind. Like most anybody, you know, in, in general, you know, it's always in the back of your mind telling you you're not good enough or, you know, watch out for this or that. But with trauma, it, it just, it's amplified. Okay. Very, very, very intrusive. And so, so we bring attention to what it's like to go to crowded restaurants in the book. We go to, we bring attention to how to manage and how to self-regulate when you get triggered. You know, it is a very, very simple three-step process about, you know, how to recognize when you're triggered instead of being caught up in it, you know? And so, um, so those are the kind of resources I'm talking about is real tangible, uh, like identity, mission, meaning, and purpose. Get grounded in who you're becoming. Because when veterans are in this depth of despair and they realize that, you know, they're, they're being asked to sit around and watch the grass grow, 
when they've been totally been given permission to be taken off safe and go do you know credible things all of a sudden they're back home and nobody understands them it's about reinvention and what i'm what i think is really cool when most veterans realize that i've got to i've got to reinvent myself and get back to those four areas they start running towards who they're becoming they wake up and i often don't hear about hear from them for years and when i do they're like man that was so important i needed that you know so and if they've been out in the world for a while they have had some level of success but now the bad things are eating away at their relationships at their family life at their careers there's no better way for most vets to go back and say when were you at your prime what's your premium self like when is that best part of you where you showed up and you knew who you were and then we go back and we use that sense of galvanizing identity mission meaning and purpose to say let's go back and let's refurbish like where you are right now let's take that previous version of yourself and let's use that certainty and confidence that you already have like you did this i didn't and so i just help them get reoriented back towards that former version of themselves to to kind of like okay now who am i now bringing that confidence from then to now yeah reminding them what they're capable of reminding them the mountains they've climbed and that they don't have to do the hero's journey the same way they've done it because they're evolved they're a different person here's the elixir you got from that journey use that elixir to do it differently now going forward that's such a powerful process i mean and, and i can't imagine the sense of uh my word. So please, please correct me if this is not the experience to you, but, but the sense of uh, satisfaction that probably comes from you know, walking alongside these veterans as they go through this process. I, you, identity, mission, meaning, purpose. What comes up for me is uh, Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Um, you know, he argue, uh, argues Freud's uh, stance that man's search was purely for pleasure and he argues against that and says, no, it's for meaning. It is to find meaning. And along with that meaning, you know, I believe comes identity, mission, and purpose. And to, to, be, to go into boot camp and to be broken down, to lose your identity, to be turned into a warrior, to do a job, right? A dutiful job, but then to come home with no outlet, path, uh, guidance on how to turn up in that way or guess what everything you've just been taught to do is no longer applicable <laughs> in being a dad yeah. in you know in being a wife and in, in being a civilian anymore there's got to be that support and guidance and it may not be exactly you know i, I think about um have you seen the documentary uh restrepo yeah i mean like uh, i'm trying to think of that the the director's name from that but he spoke a lot about how many of those depicted in the in the in the movie didn't want to go home because they were terrified of what life would look like the the uncertainty was was petrifying well how can you say to somebody you love that i'd rather be in combat they don't they can't unhear but that is mostly what's going on is that the these guys and gals they get bonded to trauma, yeah. you know, they get they, and they feel a sense of certainty and their self-reliance and protecting mm-hmm. other people, you know. So, you know, but when you get out, the biggest challenge I see with the veterans, including myself, is that we get out and we're learned, like we know who we are. Okay, thank you for the advice, appreciate it. I'm gonna do my own thing, right? And it's a stubbornness. And Eric Hoffer who wrote a book called True Believer and a bunch of others, really a great philosopher. He was a longshoreman, I think, back in the 40s and 50s. Just a big, tough guy. He said, uh, in times of change, learners inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Ooh, say that again for the people in the back. In times of change, learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. That sums up the, 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 the veteran experience so well, because mm. you're beautifully equipped to, to deal with a world that no longer exists. We need more 
identity, mission, meaning, and purpose orientation and training and support to repurpose, you know, all this investment that the military has made into creating great leaders, some of the best leadership training in the world. Mm. Yet people are walking out saying, I can't, even, I don't want, I, I can't find the right kind of job. There's just so many different aspects to transition that, I mean, if you think about it, America has been going to war for over a couple hundred years now. We should understand how to do homecoming. We should be able to get that right. We still haven't got it right. Still haven't got it right. So John, in our time uh, connecting in and around the podcast and having this conversation, you've mentioned the importance of the, the kind of magical helpers that come along the way in your hero's journey and the role that they can play. Tell me more about that. Glad told me early on, like, hey, pay attention to the people that you meet by chance because they're often the ones who are here to, to teach you the most. So be curious. Something happens, you get distracted, you miss your train, whatever, just notice people are coming into your, you know, your influence and, and, uh, and pay attention. And so I was naturally curious and I met the most extraordinary people that have helped me along my way. And what got me into this whole field of personal development and transformational development in the first place was a magical helper in Okinawa, Japan, two weeks before I was getting out of the, mil out of the Marine Corps. And really, I, I never saw the guy again. I only talked to him for like five to eight, maybe 10 minutes. And he said to me, hey, you know, he was a warrant officer, somebody who'd been in the military as an enlisted person, went back to college, came back in as an officer. So he's been there, done that kind of guy. I'm like, you listen to a warrant officer. And he, he said, you know, you're gonna get out of the Marines in a couple of weeks, and you're gonna notice really quick that the world is exactly the same, but you've changed. You know, and instead of sitting here drinking and, and getting loud with my buddies, uh, if I were you, you know, I'd go to the closest bookstore and I go to the self-help section, not the psychology section. And I find anything that jumps off the shelf at me and I start reading about who I'm becoming. And um, I never even really been in a bookstore. I certainly hadn't read very many books and, but you know, he, he just said, you know, you're going to get, you're going to realize real quick that the world doesn't need another hard ass Marine who can parachute out of helicopters at night and carry big, heavy packs and put around on range. You know, people don't care about that stuff. You got to start focusing on who you're becoming. So mm. I went to the bookstore I never saw the guy again, shook his hand. I wish I could shake it again. And I've been paying this little conversation forward thousands of times mm. since those early days. So I went to the store bookstore. And the Marine Corps bases, they didn't have bookstores. So we went to the Air Force base, you know, um, and I went to the self-help section. I had to have somebody help me find it. And I picked up three books, The Magic of Thinking Big by Schwartz, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. And then this really odd book called Psycho-Cybernetics with Maxwell Maltz. And, I, and I, 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 I talk about this one a lot because Maxwell Maltz was a plastic surgeon who made people beautiful, but they couldn't see it because of their self-image. And so that was me. I had this impeccable uniform and this external persona that I had curated, but inside it was totally incongruent, totally broken, you know, and in need of a lot of work. And so, so these be pay attention to the people you meet by chance, these magical helpers on Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. They show up at the, they show up at the end of your rope. Like you meet your greatest mm -hmm. teachers at the end of your rope. You know, that's the way it is a lot of times, the way it's been for me. Mm. So magical mm. helpers, you, you, you got to include them and you got to be open for, to them. And when you open yourself up to that realization that I'm curious, who am I going to meet? Great things happen. Mm. I love that. I mean, that's the beauty of like the conversation we're having right now. It was, you did an interview with Mike Patterson and it was, hey, you need to meet my friend Brandon and his show and right we have a cool link in the mankind projects we have a shared experience to some degree going through the new warrior training and look where we are today I, I can't begin to tell you the amount of times i've gotten an email from someone i have never met in my entire life and they've just said thank you can i please have the email of guest in episode 33 because my life has dramatically changed from this little gem that was a side tangent that was never meant to be a part of the podcast 
like that's that's the beauty in this in talking right. about these experiences and talking about trauma and gleaming from you uh the life lessons you've learned from some some huge extreme experiences uh we've got we've got just a couple minutes john mate let's hear i want to hear about be the dawn in the darkness your latest book uh the purpose behind it and you know really describe to me the the list you know who is the the avatar or the the person that this book was designed for well i would say men who are really trying to understand themselves women that are trying to understand the men that they love Mm. in their life and virtually anybody women love the, the book because it has this powerful female matriarch who just is so alive and, and, and involved throughout the book. So it's really, it's for anybody who suffers from trauma, depression, grief, loss, you know, and they're looking for a way through because it, about 50% of the books is, it's really challenging. But once it gets through the second, into the second half of the book, it becomes more aspirational. And it is about the relentless pursuit of becoming who we are meant to be. And it gets into mindfulness, it gets into non-duality. It gets into shadow work. It gets into identity, mission, meaning, and purpose. And it gets into Native American and First Nations rituals, ceremonies that I thought were very powerful. Mm. And then a very big area about plant medicines. You know, I don't do a lot of plant medicines anymore because I did my work and I'm really, really good. I don't feel called. Mm-hmm. But for me, that was just a major transcendence. Uh, it's like soul retrieval, you know? Yeah. So. Um, you know, and my wife criticizes me for this, but, uh, if you go to harvestingwisdom.com, you can read the first seven chapters or listen to the first four chapters on me, you know, and so you can really kind of look at the table of contents and see if this resonates with you and then buy it. You know, I'm, I I just want to be generous with this work. I'm not looking to get consulting gigs or speaking engagements or, Really, I'd rather lead the applause and really help other people. That's what this book is really about. It's a, it's a deep, deeply transformational body of work that's disguised as a narrative memoir. Mm. And any time I felt like I was teaching or preaching, I pulled that content out because I want people to learn through the experience, viscerally, visceral yeah. learning. Like I'm in it and I get it and I understand this lesson that was just learned and how it this now builds upon, you know, the, 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 the next chapter builds upon it. And each chapter is a whole story, like a scene in a movie that's whole and complete, but are connected on this arc of the hero's journey. Fantastic. Beautiful, John. Well, to our listeners, uh, there are going to be plenty of links in the show notes to many of the things we've spoken about, including the Finding Joe uh, documentary. We're going to give you a link to harvestingwisdom.com as well so that you can find those chapters to check it out for yourself. Uh, I would encourage you just to take the leap and purchase the thing because I can tell you right now, and I'm looking at the feedback that you've had some, you know, from some pretty big wigs in the, in the uh, psychology and therapy space, mate. It's, it's a resounding hands up, get your hands on this book, um, as well as links to transitioningveteransbook.com. Uh, you can find links to that as well if you or yourself uh, are being impacted by the experience of transitioning home. Whether you yourself or someone you love or care about is going through that transition. Uh, man, John, I, I sincerely hope this isn't the last time we get to spend time together and talk about this. In fact, uh, as we, you know, we've had many um, veterans panels as a part of this show and our previous show, Mars Off Monday. I'd love to have you a part of uh, any of those conversations going forward where we bring a bunch of veterans together, whether it's on Memorial Day or Veterans Day, uh, to you know have your input, share your, your wisdom and insights, and stay part of the conversation here on the Mankind Podcast. So, mate, thank you so much for being yeah. here. I'm all in. Thank you so much. I mean, this is, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, likewise, mate, likewise. So... You can find out more about John Henry Parker, guys, again, in the show notes. And I want to thank all of you who join us uh, each week to hear these conversations, to uh, take the masks off, to you know really see what could be possible in your men's work journey or if you don't identify as a bloke as well, your own individual journey. Uh, we certainly do our best to deliver the goods and 
we appreciate your your understanding and support if we're not releasing those episodes weekly as we're still navigating uh, the loss of our dear brother and, and engineer for the episode for the podcast Michael Russell so um, always want to make a moment at the end of these to dedicate these shows to him and the incredible work that he put into us getting here and gratitude to our guests and gratitude to you listeners as well you all make this possible so remember the mankind podcast the show where we break the molds of modern manhood to prove there is more than one way to be a man what do you say john have we done that today i believe so here here lots of love we'll see you next week